You tuned into the all new Action One Network. Turn up your volume. Okay, everybody, this is your host, Shinga. So, you are listening to SG2 on Space, episode number 55. Today's date is actually, it's a really important day today, December 12th, 2019. The reason, I don't normally say the date, but there's a reason I'm saying it. You know why? Okay. Uh, This is the last full moon of 2019, and if you are listening live you should go out and take a look uh assuming you're still listening to the show all right so um so that this would be cool so any case now it's actually completely full just after midnight all right at 12 12 a.m eastern standard time so but it should look pretty close to it any case um the moon side i should tell you hopefully you're watching me at facebook.com slash the shen show or on YouTube uh, when you do search for SG2 on space. And of course, uh, Action One Media Group at the studio as always. So um, you can find it on their website as well, weareA1.com. All right, so without any further ado, uh, <clears throat> I would love to talk about the moon some more, but I was actually reading a lot of stuff on intelligent life recently, okay? Um, oh, just a preface. Um, let me give you a few actual events that may be coming up that's of interest before we start talking about this stuff. 
All right, <clears throat> so you know, the holidays are coming up, so there's not as many space events around this time um, as, as it would, you know, probably in January, not probably, definitely in January there's more. So <clears throat> give a few highlights. Uh, today, for the last couple of days, there was actually the international first International Orbital Debris Conference in Sugarland, Texas, um, and that was co-hosted by NASA JSC, Johnson Space Center, as well as uh, USRA, um, so that was, uh, that already happened. Today was the last day. Uh, I was not able to attend due to work, but if you guys did, any of you, let me know what you learned. Um, also this week from December 9th to the 13th was the <clears throat> really large centennial conference for the American Geophysical Union in San Francisco, California. So lots of people attended. Uh, American Geophysical Union, they've been doing working on space stuff since, uh, well, since when they first started in the 1950s. And they've been around for 100 years. 100 years of conferences, hence why 2019. So I guess what is 100 years ago? Um, 1919, right? So they, I guess that's when they started it. So uh, they do a lot of Earth science stuff, um, satellites, uh, you know, observations so on and so forth uh, so pretty cool i haven't had the chance to take a look at what they had but uh i'm sure you can go to their website and if you're there you know let me know um another thing <clears throat> there's a small bodies assessment group that's coming up in january january 14th through the 16th uh here's one that i'm really into and it's related to what i'm talking about today uh there is the and it's in, it's in Houston. Well, it's in Galveston, technically. It's in Hotel Galvis from January 19th to the 24th. It's called Challenging the Perceptions of the Requirements for Life on Earth and Other Worlds. And it's essentially uh, inviting chemists, biologists, planetary scientists, astronomers, computer scientists, and all sorts of others to answer the question, how did life originate on Earth? Which is one of the things I'm going to bring up today, by the way. So for that conference, um, definitely you can check it out on grc.org slash origins dash of dash life dash conference slash 2020. Okay. Um, so that should, that should be really interesting. And assuming that you can go, uh, it'd be cool. Now it is pretty expensive. So just a note that, uh, yeah, you know. But all these conferences are, okay? So, can't help it there. All right. Um, with that aside, <clears throat> so the the reason I want to bring this up, I saw recently an article on Space.com, uh, will 2020 be the year to uncover ET? Now, some people, I, including myself, thinks, well, UFOs, aliens, they're probably already here. But hey, we don't have definitive proof, right? It's not like an alien showed up at the White House or wherever else and said, hi, I'm here, right? That hasn't happened. So astronomers and, you know, the, the mainstream science were actually looking outwards, right? Which is a very good thing because, you, you know, there's a lot of planets and cool um, cosmic things out there, right? Uh, like exoplanets, for instance, that could harbor life. So, and, and we can also search for techno signatures, uh, evidence of life, and so on and so forth. Um, so... Now, is this a year that's going to happen? Um, I don't know. I mean, we've discovered more than 4,000 exoplanets so far, and we're constantly discovering more. In fact, I learned that uh, the European Space Agency actually is going to launch an exoplanet hunting mission 
uh, next year. So not just NASA, but ESA as well. Um, actually, not next year. I'm sorry, next week. That's that's yeah. So that's called uh, characterizing exoplanet satellite CHIOPS, I guess. So um, uh, more on that detailing a little bit. <clears throat> Chinese is also doing something with the fast radio telescope, which I will also talk about in a little bit. Um, and I'm going to talk about microorganisms that cause life formation on Earth. And of course, I bring Leonard on. You remember him you know, a little bit as well. So, but first, we got to take a short break. We'll be back and dive into these exciting topics on life. <laughs> You know some of the other things you got going on absolutely so uh thank you for having me i feel like um so i think like 2000 put your money where your community is get in the growing up as a black kid in new jersey we are a one all i ever wanted to do was be a pro athlete all of my role models were black athletes. And every time I would stare out the window and look at the sky and wonder what I'd be in the future, it always had to do with me catching some crazy football and, and scoring a touchdown. When it came to the point that I was told that I would not be able to play on an organized sports team for the rest of my life, it was something that I really didn't even know how to stomach in the moment. And I remember walking out of my cardiologist's office and just sitting in the hallway and breaking down for a few minutes just because it, it, it was something that I just couldn't plan for and couldn't account for. And I realized that in that moment, my entire life was going to be changed. And all of those dreams and, and hopes and aspirations that I had were going to go out of the window. Okay, we are back. You're listening to SGT on Space, the only weekly space show here in Houston, Texas. Need to emphasize that. Uh, December 12th, 2019, last full moon of the year guys beautiful sight outside in fact i will mention it to you next time whenever we have something beautiful out there um so hopefully you're watching on facebook.com slash the shane show or on youtube and i forgot to mention which is actually quite important please support me at patreon.com p-a-t-t-r-e-o-n.com slash sg2 on space we got uh four different tiers all right so the smallest amount is just five dollars a month and you get recognized why not and uh if you want to go up to 30 hey we can get you an ad all right wouldn't that be great so all right that aside um let's talk about life all right and when i talk about life i don't mean like are you happy all right since i'm not a psychologist right this is space so when i talk about life it means literally life life on other worlds right life here how did it form so um let's let's talk about life here actually so starting out with some biology which is not my forte but i always found this kind of stuff interesting um there's apparently microorganisms that like to eat rocks particularly rocks from other worlds so um you know there's meteorites that falls down earth right so Scientists have confirmed that bacteria can not only survive the harsh conditions of space, you know, just imagine total vacuum, no air, 
exposed to radiation, and somehow you're still alive. A human would be dead in like seconds. All right. So, <clears throat> so there's a in recent study, uh, international team led by astrobiologist Tatiana Milosevic from the University of Vienna, uh, that's in Austria, examined a specific piece of ancient bacteria that's known to thrive on meteorites. And meteorites are basically rocks that fall to the earth from, from out there in space, right? So they examined a piece of, um, they examined a meteorite that contained traces of this bacteria. And uh, they determined that these bacteria actually prefer to feed on meteors. So you, you can read the study on uh, Scientific Reports, which is a publication that is uh, maintained by the very well-known publication, uh, sorry, Nature. All right, so this single-celled, um, they call this metalophic. So I guess that means lover of metal, felic, metal metalophic bacteria is known as this is kind of funny when you throw a Latin name. Meta, Metallosfera sedula. All right. I don't know how to say that correctly. Um, they're part of a family known as litro, lithotrophs, which are basically bacteria that get their energy from eating, get this, inorganic sources. In other words, stuff that's not alive. All right. So, um, so what did this team do? Well, they examined strains of this bacteria. <clears throat> on a particular meteorite called Northwest Africa 1172, NWA-1172. Uh, meteorites are given a number, and it's named after where it was first discovered. So in this case, it was actually discovered in Erfud, Morocco in 2000, but f for better or worse, they're just calling it Northwest Africa 1172. Um, so NWA-1172 is a multi-metallic Um which is which is interesting because apparently these this particular bacteria, uh, Metallosfera sedula, prefers eating these meteorite metals over terrestrial metals. Um, so how do they know this? Well, they determined they examined um, how the microbes attract the iron oxide molecules into the cells, right, and that, and looked at how their oxidation states changed over time. So they did some spectroscopy. Um, and so it provided a nanometer scale resolution, and they discovered that um, these M, whatever, uh, gosh, so hard to say, Metallosfera cedula, or M cedula, okay. So they were able to perform biotransformations of the meteorite materials and, <clears throat> and essentially turn rock, like totally dead rock, into like growing more bacteria which is kind of crazy so um so it turns into organics in other words which by the way could be food for other life right other life that don't eat rock okay which is kind of cool so you literally turn something that's dead into something that's alive which could then be consumed by stuff that only eats live things like i don't eat rocks right i don't think i do i don't but if this bacteria eats it and then produces some organic molecules, then I can eat that. Not that I'm going to eat it. Okay, that's just an analogy of how organic molecules might be formed um, from just inorganic stuff if you just have an origin point. So um, could this be possibly the origin of where these life come from? I mean, these things, they could be um, out there in space. It doesn't have to be on Earth. I mean, these kinds of inorganic eating bacteria could be, I don't know, 
floating out in the asteroid belt somewhere and not from Earth at all. For all I know, that could be the case, right? Which would be pretty cool. Um, so let's jump from the bacterial side to <clears throat> the um, telescope side of things. So let's first of all talk about China because I thought this was kind of interesting. So I've talked about this before, the FAST telescope. The fi uh, FAST stands for 500-meter aperture spherical telescope which um, is the largest radio telescope in the world. It's actually in natural um, dome-shaped area. So radio telescopes needs to be humongous since the wavelength of radio waves are fairly long. So anyways, they're really big, okay? So this one is 500 meters in diameter, I believe. Um, so it took, it took uh, the testing commission phase um, occurred over the past three years, and soon it's gonna be fully operational, which is great. Um, now, its main purpose is not to search for extraterrestrial intelligence, but hey, you know, it's taking a lot of data, and who knows, some of it could, right? So for instance, by the data, what I mean is, so far, even before full operations, FAST has detected and identified 99 rapidly spinning neutron stars, which are otherwise known as pulsars. And many of them are um, fast, like more than 30 of them, more than a third of them are really fast rotating millisecond pulsars. In other words, they spin around in less than a millisecond or, or in milliseconds, which is thousands of a second, which is crazy. All right. So Zhu um, Min, the director of the Scientific Observation Data Division of the Fast Operations, says, in the process of observing signals from celestial bodies, we also collect signals that might be emitted by humans or extraterrestrial intelligence. So, however, it's a huge amount of work since most signals we see, 99% of them, in fact, are various noises. So we need to take our time to identify the signals we want in the noise. So, um, anyways, the sensitivity of this telescope is really high, uh, so the accuracy is really good. All right, let's see what we discover. Um, who knows? I mean, it is already about three times as sensitive as the second largest radio telescope. So, you know, as it improves, it could be, it would be even better. We shall see if we get some kind of radio signal from out there from ET, some kind of ET, possibly. Okay, over here in the States on the, on the ground, um, you, you may have heard of uh, one group, for instance, the, one of the more well-known ones is SETI, right? Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Uh, they've been going at it for a number of years now. In fact, at one point, I believe they had congressional funding until it was cut, and now I think it's privately funded. So the SETI Institute, um, so the SETI Institute, their whole purpose, well, they do astronomy research as well, but initially, they were established to uh, explore, understand, and basically detect, try to detect life in space, right? Um, search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, any case, <clears throat> so they use a bunch of telescopes. Um, just, just a quick short background. So they have the ground-based Allen Telescope Array. Uh, they have the Shane Telescope at Lick Observatory, the Kep Telescope in the IRTF in Hawaii, the Very Large Telescope in Chile. Um, so. They've also used information from other missions like Hubble, Spitzer, TESS, Herschel, but you know they, they don't actually operate and have time. Those they, they get the data though. All right, so um, 
So what 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 are they exactly doing? Okay. Well, they're purposely seeking out nearby star systems for um, certain narrow band radio signals or <clears throat> or brief flashes of light. Okay. So. Um, who knows, right? I mean, it's kind of like finding a needle in a haystack to do this. Um, I mean, there, there's there's no guarantee that's that's going to, I don't know. I've been doing it for a while, but hey, there is a chance, right? So, um, any case, so there there has been, this is interesting, there has been some talk about what's known as active setting, um, whether we should transmit a signal outwards to possible intelligent extraterrestrials, all right? Um, so that has, I don't think that has been done yet. So, so far it's just been receiving, right? But as some of you guys may already know, we humans have been unintentionally transmitting stuff everywhere, um, since the radio started in the early 20th century. Um, so all our signals is propagating outwards at, uh, at light speed. So let's see. Um, considering radio was invented in 1920, I believe, that is, what is it now? Over 90 years, 1920, let's just say, what? Yeah, so it's almost 2020. So, yeah, almost 120 years now. So in other words, uh, anything that's within, like, almost 120 light years, any extraterrestrial civilization would have probably uncovered our signals and know that we exist all right since that's yeah we've been broadcasting that for that long which um pretty much i think what that actually means is that eventually um even assuming that you know aliens or whatnot have not already landed they they would know i mean our signal is just going to keep propagating so all right, so as far as 2020, who knows, all right? Um, I was going to mention that ESA, European Space Agency, is launching something called Characterizing Exoplanet Satellite, CHEOPS, okay, C-H-E-O-P-S. So um, I, I actually did not quite know this, so I'll give you a quick background. Um, this telescope, this the satellite, it will observe bright stars that are known to host planets, and it will detect planets that are about as big as from Earth uh, to to Jupiter. All right, so <clears throat> um, they can gather the planet's mass, all right, and the size, right? So you can use that to determine the density, uh, and through density you can figure out, hey, their structure and composition, right? So. Um, according to ESA, CHEOPS will be very different from existing exoplanet hunting missions such as TESS or Kepler. So instead of finding new alien planets such as what TESS or Kepler is doing, CHEOPS will turn its gaze on known exoplanets of previously identified host stars. All right. So ESA says CHEOPS will serve as a precursor of future missions designed to uncover these exoplanets. So um, the next generation of ESA's exoplanet satellites, they're going to be called, creatively, Plato and Ariel. All right, so those two exoplanet satellites, that's going to be in the next decade. All right, so, so there's going to be more coming up from the European side. Okay, so CHEOPS mission is going to begin on December 17th. The spacecraft is going to be launched uh, via Soyuz Frigate rocket from uh, French Guiana. And that would be really interesting. So next week, you know, during launch day, I put up 
a link on the website. I'm not website, uh, Facebook page, so you guys can, um, you know, possibly watch it live or record it. So that'd be pretty cool. Um, so, any case, <clears throat> all right. Now, speaking of alien worlds and all that, um, even closer into, it's kind of hard to picture sometimes what those worlds could possibly look like. Um, I thought this was really interesting that there's literally an artist out there who makes his living from doing that. So, um, and I, th these images are amazing and uh, I will share it once again on Facebook. Um, but apparently this, this person, <clears throat> this filmmaker, Adam Marikinko, whom I haven't heard of, but he literally makes miniature versions of alien worlds and takes photos of them to the point where it looks like, oh my gosh, it looks like an actual alien planet, you know, but it's not. He just makes models of them. So, um, so he's worked with last year in 2018, he worked with Keck Observatory on a project called Exoplanet Imaginarium, where he created models of 12 exoplanets to help people visualize some of the ones being discovered. So, um, so he's able to work with scientists to get the images close to, you know, what, what they envision, right? So sometimes you, you get tired of just looking at data or rather you want to have a, you know, actual layout picture in front of you, right? So he makes that, which is kind of cool. So, uh, if you want to check all these cool images out, you can go to keckobservatory.org slash imaginarium, which is I-M-A-G-I-N-A-R-I-U-M which is really cool, all right? So um, I'm sure in the future he'll probably work with Tess and maybe ESA folks and, and get some actual more data and make realistic-looking exoplanets. That'd be pretty cool. Um, so <clears throat> speaking of one of the weird planets that was recently found, um, there's a, apparently a Neptune-sized planet that's found orbiting a dead white dwarf star. And that planet's actually four times bigger than the star. Now, um, white dwarf, by the way, our sun's eventually going to turn into white dwarf. All right. So maybe this is not so far out there, but it's still kind of cool, I thought. Um, let's see here. I think at this point, let's see if we can bring Leonard on. Are you on, Leonard? Hey, Shan. What's up? How's it going? Yep, I'm here. Okay, good. Uh, I'm doing pretty well, you know. Just uh, just doing the show, and you're apparently on it too. So you're a regular now. Oh, am I on? <laughs> I'm so nervous. <laughs> oh my gosh, I think you're a natural. Um, so let's see here. I I wanted to, you know, you brought up. Uh, do Do you want to talk about that? Okay, hold on one second. Um, we apparently have I got a question. The time drinking an adult beverage. All right. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't yet go get your adult beverage. Let's see what the question is. Huh. Okay. I see the question. Again, this is, hi, everybody. I'm going to pose this question. It was asked at the beginning of the show. Um, this is from Andrew, and it's about a military branch. What do you guys think about the new military branch being created, the Space Force? Um, do you want to tackle that one that I will answer? Yeah, there's some kind of space force that's been created. I think I heard about it about two years ago, though. I I don't really know 
why they need that other than why can't the Air Force do that? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't really have anything to to think about it. It's not it's not like I'm sorry. I mean, I'd like to I'd like to answer that question, but I I don't know. I What about you, Shen? Um, I mean, it's a military branch that conducts space warfare. Um, so you know, initially when it was first proposed uh, by our government, I think a lot of people mocked it, but some members of the Pentagon thought it was quite relevant since space is where everybody's going to. Um, so I think it was recently formed. I don't know too much about it, What whether I think it's necessary or not. I think at this particular time, it's really not. I mean, we're, we're, we're mostly still a earthbound species and anything like satellites and stuff i think the air force could handle it um but oh well well the russians did it so maybe that's why it's not really it's not really my you know area of expertise but i mean um there there are and that sort of stuff going on okay i don't so, so I see, I see what's going on. Um, <clears throat> we're we're gonna get back to, um, you know, life and all that stuff soon. But apparently, yesterday the House um, passed a seven hundred thirty-eight billion dollar uh, bill for the Space Force. Oh, that's interesting. App- billion? Apparently, may- maybe that's that's like a bunch of other stuff. But uh, I was like, yeah, apparently. Uh, the, the Space Force will become the sixth branch of the U.S. military. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's agreed. Um, I think the $738 billion is, is not just for the Space Force, though. That, that sounds like really excessive right now. If that's just Yeah, that, that, would, that may be a misprint right, or right. something. We'll have but, to but, check up on that. But the bipart- there is a bipartisan agreement, though, that that it is happening. So, Yeah. So on popular mechanics. Um, so Leonard, I actually wanted to ask you about um, that story—not that story, that experience you had. If you're willing to share it, so you said you saw something. We're, oh, go on. You clipped. Huh? We were talking. talking about Can you hear me? Two years. Okay, you're cutting out. Wanted to talk about. Wait, did you hear what I said? Yeah, you said what was what experience did I have? What you saw them you... in the August 2017 eclipse, the solar yeah. shadow band. What was that? Okay, shadow. It has to do with bands of light and shadow that you see on the ground near totality. Mm-hmm. And they're wiggling like almost like snakes, and they they go all the way out into the uh, you know as far away from you as you can see, and they're just like wiggling everywhere on the on the ground. Now I'm not a well known uh, um, little pinhole uh, view of the of the eclipse, but um, this is this is a shimmering kind of effect mm-hmm. that's been written about, and it's called shadow bands. And I'm a physicist. I don't know if I told you that. I'm a I'm a PhD physicist. I wow. graduated like thirty some years ago from Rice University, and so I know a lot. 
and stuff like that. And I don't understand it. And I've talked to other people who don't really know what's going on there, but it may have something to do with the same kind of mechanisms that cause the start in the It's a fundamental mystery, and I haven't figured it out, and I don't know who's who's looking at that. But that was my experience. Two years ago, I went to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, that was right in the path the low the right in the path of where the famous uh, American eclipse was in August of 2017. It was great. It was like a rock concert. I was at I was at um, Tennessee State, Central Tennessee State University, and the president of the college was up there, and the physics department was looking a little awkward on the stage and all that stuff. And it was great. It was a great. I had a great time. And Mike Jolt, Mike, go around and tell children there were a lot of kids there. Like, don't don't look at the sun. Don't don't you you in the back. Don't look at the sun. So, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, it's a great. It has something to do with something called Fraunhofer diffraction, I I believe, um, or it may be a scintillation effect. But I don't understand because, as you know, um, from scintillation in the atmosphere, but planets don't. And so, because the disk, the planetary disk, is large enough to uh, obscure the the, the uh, diffraction. So I don't know. So, so look at Google. We got Google. It's the source of all knowledge now. I, uh, Shadow. Paint. I I recall you telling me that people these days Google so much that they don't have a brain anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a little known fact that over the past twenty thousand years, since Cro-Magnon, man, uh, human, uh, our... yeah, we've. Uh, you're, you're cutting out once again, but th- this is actually something new that I learned um, from what you just said, and I, I just used the source of all knowledge, Google. Um, for shadow bands, nobody knows what how they're formed, right? So what? The shadow bands. Shadow bands. I don't know what they are. They're like they're like uh, undulating undulating shadows and light. Um, uh, that you see at the point where the moon just uh, uh, obscures the disk of the sun. Huh. Solar eclipses are the coolest thing. You, it, um, It's unbelievable. The star- yeah, uh, just to note, Leonard, I actually saw the same solar, solar eclipse you did. I was in... The, uh, looking, looking around, you know, shadows and things become more acute. Somehow it's like looking through a filter of some sort, and then it gets completely dark. And then, and then um, you look up at the sun. You can look up at the sun at that point, and it's obscured by the moon. I can't describe it. It has to be experienced. We've got another one coming up in Hill Country, Texas Hill Country. I think uh, better check the date on it. Twenty twenty four. Twenty twenty four. Yeah, I'll probably still be alive. That that's actually very good to note that you're still going to be alive. Yeah. Problem. Um, so so for solar eclipses, yeah. Uh, apparently you can go to nationaleclipse.com/maps. 
.html, and it has all the eclipses. So, Hoorah. Yeah, that, that'd be a cool place. I'm sure you'll what, go what and see it. Is, are you looking at it right now? What date is it? Is it 2024? Am I right about that? Um, yeah. April eighth, twenty twenty four. Yeah, I can't wait. I've got a I've got a place staked out on Enchanted Rock, uh, west of Austin. Where I'm gonna go. What What are you gonna? You're just gonna go there and look. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna set up. I'm sure there's gonna be thousands of people. It's a total eclipse. Okay. Hey, um, th- this eclipse stuff is cool. Let's. I kind of want to talk about the Fermi paradox since you brought that up. Um, oh okay. Since uh, to relate it to life, you know. So uh, yeah. Leonard, why don't since you're you're a PhD in physics and loves cosmology, um, what what can you tell us about what the Fermi paradox is, very briefly? Okay, so there's supposed to be life in the universe. It's supposed to be very common, and and right. That's that's what everybody says. But there was this physicist about. 70 years ago named Enrico Fermi. He's a, he was a particle physicist, worked on the atomic bomb and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what he said one day in a conference is, well, where is everybody? And what he meant by that is, if there's so many aliens everywhere, where are they? And what he meant by that is, if, if, there, are, if there are oodles and you know, Googles of, of aliens out there, um, some of them are like a thousand years ahead of us. Some of them are a million years ahead of us technologically, so they should have built. Um, they they should have first of all built uh, self-replicating robots and things that would go out into the into the galaxy and basically colonize the galaxy. So that the, he postulated. I don't know if he did that, but other people have followed up on this, and, and they postulate that a an advanced civilization can design self-replicating robots they're called von neumann machines um that will that will travel to another uh star system at at conventional speeds you know it might take ten thousand years might take you know 30 uh, so many thousands of years but once it gets there it surveys this the the uh the solar system there and then it acquires the materials it it needs in order to build replicas of it and then it will make a hundred copies of itself and send them out to other stars and in and in a million years uh, that should have just completely filled up the the uh, uh, galaxy with um, techn- with evidence of technology which is one of the reasons why I was paying so close attention to the unamuma ua mua mua thing <laughs> because I'm thinking well there's one of them Right. Uh, so so I got, you know, I got excited there, but I, I think maybe it didn't do anything. It just kind of like left, but it did do some unusual things. So that's the idea. Well, where are they? Where are these probes? Where is everything? And so there's there's a kind of depressing notion that, you know, well, there's so many um, barriers to development of of uh, advanced technological civilizations that it's very possible that the number of technological civilizations in the entire galaxy or even in the universe is very close to one and we're it okay so the number of things that that have to go through and we have to go through evolution 
in order to make a self-conscious organism like ourselves, you know, I guess people say techno monkeys to go from jellyfish to techno monkey uh, is, is, uh, is, is uh, too, is, are there too many barriers? You know, uh, mm -hmm. um, life uh, on evolution uh, on earth has gone through something like several a billion years and we've gone through epics where advanced you know highly developed not so much technolog not technologically advanced but but highly evolved organisms like the dinosaurs and we've gone through this several times and we have these mass extinctions that wipe them out so really even on earth there's been about six or seven opportunities for a self-conscious organism like ourselves to evolve and we only came along on the sixth or seventh try. So there, so there's some evidence that, that it's not that easy to make aliens to, for evolution. We, also, we have no idea how common life is, technological or, or animal life or, or whatever. We're probably gonna get some idea about that in the next 10 or 20 years as, they, as more and more uh, extraterrestrial Extrasolar planets are, are observed. Uh, we just need to see oxygen, really, in a planetary atmosphere, and that's a really good, good indicator. I mean, so, yeah. With how many? Okay, so yes, Fermi paradox is essentially Enrico Fermi summarizing what you said. Hey, you know, back at the turn of the, the 20th century, it's like where are all these, considering how many planets are out there why do we not see any other life out there right extraterrestrial intelligence okay yeah and the idea is that that if there's lots of them if there's like millions of them mm -hmm. then then a lot of them are likely to be very far ahead of us uh technologically i think and, uh do you do you know the zoo hypothesis leonard that's what i think is what? happening say it again the what? zoo hypothesis z-o-o -O, like animals and zoo it's you mean, you mean we're, we've been we've been quarantined and they're just watching us because it's fun to watch us? Pretty much. I mean, that's what we do with less intelligent animals here on Earth. Yeah. So, well, they're not taking very good care of us. I mean, I think... but, you, you, you know, like, like they're just, yeah. I mean, it's like, look, you know, there's these humans. They're here on their own planet. They haven't really ventured out anywhere except put a few boots on the moon and then go back home, I guess. So we're, we're just going to watch them, see how their society develops. Yeah, but the problem with that is that that would re require – okay, so that would assume that there's this this super federation of, you know, some kind of super federated organization of all of the, all of the interstellar planets, right, extraterrestrial planets, right. and uh, they've all gotten to, gotten to agree to do that. I mean – the argument against that is, you know, it just it just takes one, you know, uh, biker gang uh, alien civilization, <laughs> you know, to 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 mess to mess with that, right? So, uh, you know, um, and that, you know, that, yeah, that that's yeah. It's just, anyway, you you say like one quote unquote alien biker gang who's like doesn't want to follow the rules. Yeah, I mean. And and the way you know the way you know how you are you know yeah. you don't want to follow well maybe you follow rules I don't follow rules I but I I, I know but uh, I kind of go rogue a lot of times and so and so you know there there's a lot of 
that, that, you, know, you might expect that to happen. I actually right? have but, a good answer for you there, but uh, let's take a short break because we need to, and then when we come back, I will talk to you about it. Okay. Are you still here? Go on and subscribe. SGT on Space, episode number 55. We're talking about life. Here I have Leonard Kramer on again. Yeah. Hey. Leonard, as always. I'm here. Okay, so I was going to say, yeah, there could be uh, rogue biker games of aliens, as you said it. And maybe that's why we see UFOs, you know? Because otherwise, why would they even be here? That's, um, or, so, or maybe there aren't any UFOs and we're just seeing blurry photos. They have some kind of technology that blurs photos of them. Whenever you take a photo of one, it's like a really fuzzy, blurry photo. <laughs> hey, did you... Uh, so, the, I re- read this recently. Okay, you, you know the the now famous uh, Navy UFO encounter in 2004? Um, yeah. That was published in pop- Popular Mechanics. Um, apparently, there were a couple of Navy officers who basically said there were these, like, two men who showed up in a helicopter, like, shortly after this incident, and then they then they talked with their higher-ups, and then their higher-up officer just told them to, like, delete everything. Yeah. So, um, which leads I've me to think... I've had people at work tell me to do that. Huh? I've had people at work tell me to do that, but let's not talk about that. That's, a, that's, that's well, for another day. Well, well my, my take on it... Is okay, you know, I'm not saying UFOs aren't necessarily aliens, but clearly there's something going on. Like, that just sounds really weird. But, um, but back to the, the, I don't know. This is all speculation now, of course. Um, what, what we're saying here. So, the Fermi paradox, going back to that, 
Uh, one of the things, Leonard, that you mentioned was on these von Neumann probes, right? So, von Neumann. Von, von, von Neumann. Neumann Neum von Neumann probes. Um, and these yeah, are, right. from what I understand, they're self-replicating spacecraft. So they're like robots, right? Is that right? Like they go somewhere, they mine stuff, and they, they yeah, basically well, process it, and then they make more of themselves? Yeah, it's, it's technology that's beyond uh, our capability currently, but... I feel like we're kind of getting close, you know. Uh, anyway, this, these kind of things were speculated about, you know, 60 years ago, mm -hmm. um, and so uh, um, that that this was the, this was the this was the way forward toward col basically colonizing at, at least by proxy the universe. And people will ask, you know, well. You know, what's the purpose of this? Why would they do that? Well, I mean, why do people climb mountains? And why do, do you know, the, the thing is, it only takes one civilization to do this. And it will fill up the galaxy, right? So, uh, um, and, it, and, it, and it, it looks plausible. It looks, I think we can see a path toward doing that. Um, but um, anyway. That's, I suppose the main question is um, not that whether if there are, you know, assuming extraterrestrial civilization develops, they want to spread out across the galaxy. This definitely seems one way of doing it. And you don't even need faster than light travel because you just keep spreading. That's so um, the, the question here is, I, I don't know if that would be the best process. I mean, they, I don't know. This, the possibilities are endless. Um, have you also heard of... Uh, uh, like like the biological replicator seed ships, Leonard. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't heard of that. Tell me about that. So and everyone else, tell else about that. Basically, um, instead of instead of robots or whatnot, um, so th these are basically starships that carry like genetic patterns of life forms from like their home world, and so when when these um, automatic ships, I guess, when they find a habitable exoplanet. Uh, or even one that could be possibly terraformed, they they just replicate their their life forms either from like stored embryos or some kind of molecular nanotechnology to basically build biological life from using local raw materials. So essentially, it's like we humans don't actually travel to a different star system. Instead, we send our I guess cells or embryos and it goes over there, finds a habitable exoplanet, lands. And then somehow constructs that environment where, the you know, we're created on that world, like humans are. So okay, sounds very similar, like an extension of the of the von Neumann probe. Yeah, von uh, Neumann probe uh, is is for like robots. This is for biological. Yeah, reasons. totally cool. But I mean, and that should work too. That should that so so that's even. That's more of the question that that you can pose that Fermi, you know, Fermi proposed about, you know, well, where, why hasn't that happened? Why don't we see it? You know, I'm expecting it any day, actually. Right. Yeah, but, yeah, you know what? What I think would be crazy that I sometimes have this thought that I well, I have lots of crazy thoughts. Um, but <clears throat> one thing I was thinking is that what what if Earth is not our original planet? I mean, what if this already happened? Like we're just replicated here, so to speak. So yeah, I well, mean, there's a lot of sci-fi. There's a lot of sci-fi uh, things that are that, it, that's that's a that's a theme for you do, know. Do, oh, speaking of Star Trek, that so 
So speaking of sci-fi, Leonard, uh, do do you know any good ones that are related to this? Um, just curious. Uh, rendezvous, rendezvous with Rama. That was um um. Oh, I'm having a I'm I'm having a senior thing here. Uh, what's this? <laughs> wrote he wrote 2001: A Space Odyssey. What's that's, his name? That's Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur Clark. Arthur Arthur C. Clark. He uh-huh. wrote a book called Rendezvous with Rama. What happened? And it's there? about what? Go on. It's about a interstellar probe from an from an, from a, uh, a civilization that um, uh, it, and it it enters the uh, Earth's environment and goes around and and there's all kinds of sociological things and that sort of stuff, uh, which is it's sort of similar. Where th- this is a probe, it's a it's a robot probe that mm-hmm. that comes from another. Um, uh, civilization and it's it's kind of like first contact and it very much re- re- uh, reminded me of the Uma Mua Una Muma Mua I think you said enough Uma Mua okay Uma Mua got it yeah. alright so Leonard with that uh, we gotta cut this short or rather uh, uh, the show is no. coming I'm sorry I, I don't wanna go you don't wanna go <laughs> well <laughs> Well, we, 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 maybe we can bring you up earlier next time, but um, we got to go this time. So, um, thanks for your time, Leonard. You've been listening to SGT on Space, episode number fifty-five. Today we talked about life, mostly you know extraterrestrial life, search for life. Uh, also talked about solar eclipses, and of course um, talked about some weird stuff, possibilities on whether, why Fermi paradox, why we seem to be alone in the universe which doesn't make any sense but anyways um so follow me facebook.com slash the shen show and uh please support me patreon.com slash sg2 on space it will cut down the commercials and actually provide you relevant material all right so patreon.com slash sg2 on space all right uh with that thank you and what's the catchphrase um it's uh like something about keep looking up or all right Leonard. You never know what you might. You better do it. I, I better do it. You're right. Look up because you never know what you will see. Yeah, there it is. There it is. All right. Thanks, Leonard. Okay. Take care, everybody. Good night. Good night. Peace. It's Brother Atom Ryan. You tuned in to Action One Network.